Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments, Season 3. Thank you for joining me on this journey into the odd, the weird, the strange. Hope you'll enjoy it. Now, on with the show. Good evening, everybody. This is Terry from Texas, and it's good to be back after a week off. I want to say first that this being Veterans Day week, that I want to thank the veterans who have served this country so well. I want to remember my father and my uncles who served during World War II, my two oldest brothers who served in Vietnam, my two other brothers who served in the peacetime army, my brother-in-law who served in the Vietnam era, and my nephew who also served in the peacetime army, and anybody else that I may know but can't think of the name. We honor you veterans we thank you for your service. You've done a great job. Thank you. Let's get into the story, shall we? Many southern mountain people have told stories to their children and grandchildren about the ghosts, the haints, and the witches they or some members of their family have seen and heard around old houses, graveyards, churches, valleys, mountaintops, roads, and trails. Hundreds of years ago, the ancestors of these people told similar stories to their folks about the ghosts seen in or around homes in Scotland, England, and Ireland. It was from these countries that so many of the neighbors and families migrated to these southern mountains long years before. Examples of stories referred to may be found in most southern states. Historians tell us even New England had witch hunts and burnings in the early days of the colonies. There's an old house standing in Knoxville, Tennessee that has a double cross panel on the front door. This design was supposed to guard that house from any witch that sought to enter and was called a witch door. In a middle Tennessee county, there's a marker to the Bell Farmhouse. In the days of Andrew Jackson, the so-called famous Bell Witch made life miserable for any family that tried to live in this house. The old general was persuaded by friends to visit the old Bell House. He did so, and is said to have remarked the next morning that he would rather fight the Battle of New Orleans over again than to have another encounter with the Bell Witch. Chatham County, North Carolina, 
as a devil's tramping ground, a path 40 feet in diameter in a dense growth of trees. Recently, new highway signs have been put up pointing toward this spot so that tourists may see it. Here are some of the attempts to explain this hard-packed path upon which no grass or weeds have ever grown. One explanation is that deer are licking a salt sand outcrop before white men ever saw this land. Two, a path made by steers and mules as they pulled an old clay grinding machine to make brick or a cane grinding mill to make syrup in pioneer days. Indians could have made a ceremonial fire ring in these woods. The explanation given by a man on a nearby farm to explain this is believed by a number of people in this area. The devil takes the form of a man who goes on Wednesday nights to this spot while prayer meetings are held in neighboring churches and that in frustration he walks around and around and keeps the path in the condition that visitors see today. In days gone by, there was a sense of awe and at times fear by both old and young of abandoned houses where no one had lived for years. This was especially true if the house had a cloak of vines, weeds, and brush that half concealed broken doors and windows or shutters. In many Georgia communities, people took pains to avoid such places after sundown. In the days before electric lights or flashlights, the only illumination at the old homes was a tallow candle. A fire in the fireplace, a pine torch, oil lamps, or lanterns might do it also. A home illuminated by such a poor method of lighting furnished many shadows that could hide ghosts or haints. A weapon such as an axe, knife, or gun are worthless in a battle with a sort of supernatural being that reached out of the dark shadows and touches with cold, ghostly fingers those who were fools enough to be found in such a situation after dark. The only thing to do if you found yourself in the vicinity of a hated house or place after sundown was to break all speed limits running. Hunters at night in quest of possums, raccoons, or fox avoided hated houses since even a hound dog was not supposed to see or smell a ghost that might at any time be looking out of an old window or hidden in the brush and vines around an old house. It was believed by many mountain families that cattle, horses, and mules with a keen sense of smell might detect a hidden ghost. This idea may have come down from Indian days where there are on record cases where cattle gave the pioneers warning that Indians were in the neighborhood. A more dreaded place than an old house was the old family or public cemetery. This dread was extended to the old dilapidated church building that usually stood next door to the cemetery. There were dark coves on mountainsides, dark and lonely places on mountain roads that were thought to be hated, this especially true of places that had been the scene of Indian massacres or a place where there had been a fatal accident or where someone had been murdered. A few mountaintops and gaps were also noted as places where people had seen strange sights or heard strange and mysterious sounds. Cumberland Gap on the Tennessee, Kentucky, and Virginia border had a ghost of an old pioneer on the wilderness trail who had been killed and scalped by Indians. Strange figures in the sky have been seen above the famous Chimney Rock in North Carolina. There's a story about the terrible old Cherokee Chief Doublehead 
who, although he was killed in Charleston, Tennessee, near the mouth of the Hiawassee River, he was said to have hated the meeting house at Doublehead Gap, near the old town of Noontutla on the Fannin-Gilmer County line in Georgia, where his supposed ghost nearly caused a hunter to run himself to death, trying to escape the figure seen at this gap on a moonlit night somewhere in 1895. Many folks moved from North Carolina in 1842 from the vicinity of the place where the famous Brown Mountain Lights are still a tourist attraction every summer. These lights have puzzled scientists for over 100 years. Some of these ghost stories had a simple explanation for those who had the courage to investigate. Doubtless the Brown Mountain Lights have a simple scientific explanation. One theory is that they are the reflection of headlights of an locomotive on a nearby railroad. Mountain people will tell you that they were seen before the railroad was built. More research may be needed on that subject. Many of the ghost stories had an explanation. However, many people living during the time of the stories preferred to believe in ghosts, haints, and witches. Life was more exciting if these things were around to be seen and run from if you were a good runner. The Crying Baby Now, I have told some crying baby stories before, uh, particularly in reference to cemeteries. One near my hometown in a little community called Macedonia Hicks outside of Caldwell, Texas, where the pastor at the time told me that as he would stay at the church by himself, he was a single young seminary student, the cemetery is across the road. It's just a farm-to-market type road. And the cemetery's across the road, but at night, when he was there alone, he would hear babies crying in the cemetery. Well, this story happened in a community called Big Creek, about a quarter mile over the Gilmer-Fannin County line in North Georgia. Now, we in the South definitely hate to say North anything. Maybe Upper Georgia would be good. The house involved was torn down in the early 20th century. This ghostly happening occurred in the late 1890s when a man named David Stanley started out to visit a neighbor who lived several miles away in Fannin County. He was mounted on his horse and he went riding down the road that he had helped build through the wilderness just a few years before. On the way, the road went past the old Orton House, O-R-T-A-N, Orton House, which stood back from the road about 50 yards. The time was about 10 o'clock in the morning of a bright sunny day. As he rode past the entrance to the lane that led to the house, he suddenly heard the wailing of a little child at the house. So loud and alarming was this crying that the man decided he must turn in and see what was wrong and offer any help if needed. He rode up to the house, tied his horse to a post in the yard, walked onto the porch, pushed open the door of the one-room house, Everybody knows that doors in the mountains were never locked in those days. And to his amazement, there was no one in the house and the baby stopped crying. But he heard it begin out in the barn. The barn stood out in a field of growing corn about 150 feet from the house. He went around the house and found the path that led through the cornfield to the barn. When he was about halfway to the barn, he stopped and listened. This time with a sense of fear of the unknown upon him. For the sound of the crying had moved from the barn back to the house. He said once that he came out of the path in the cornfield, 
walking faster than he had ever walked before, went to the post, untied his horse, in a hurry, mounted, and rode out of the lane and down the road at a rapid rate. The crying sound from the house continued until he spurred his horse into the ford in the creek about 200 yards from the house. This man was a hunter who had roamed the mountain area of the Gilmer-Fannin Union County's borders and with a rifle in his hands would have faced any bear, panther, wolf, or wildcat in the forest. But he was so shaken by this ghostly sound that he remembered this incident even when he was an old man and was never able to give anyone a satisfactory explanation or thought of the empty house that contained a crying baby that could not be seen by mortal eyes. At the age of 10, the young boy was sent to school at Oakland Academy near Cartier, Georgia. This school was located about 12 miles from the young boy's home. He was forced to board with kind families in the neighborhood who could spare a room and a place at the table for meals. Many young people at that time were attending this school. This young boy was fortunate to find a home with the Mulkey family. He walked back and forth to the school each day with Antha, Annie Mae, and Sylvia, the three children in this home for his first year at Oakland. The next year, he stayed at a home near the Cartier Methodist Church with some older boys and girls. He walked daily past the church. There was a path which was a shortcut to the road around a curve from the front of the church building. This path led between the walls of the church and the fence around the old cemetery. There was a number of evening meetings at the school building that winter. It was the young boy's lot to walk alone in the night from the school back to his lodging place. On one very dark Friday night as he walked along this path, he happened to look over toward the graves which were within a few feet of the fence. To his horror, there on one of the graves was a fire burning. In the hasty glance, it seemed to him that the flames were rising more than one foot in the air. Without a second's hesitation, he ran with all speed toward the house where he lived. He arrived in a few minutes in front of this house, very much frightened and out of breath. He remembered there was no one in the house. Too scared to open the door and go in, he stood by a high fence on the side of the road until the others came home. Early the next morning, he started to school and ran ahead of the others to see what had happened to the grave that was on fire the night before. When he looked over the fence, the only sign he saw was a pile of ashes about 10 feet from one of the graves where the people who were cleaning off the cemetery the day before had burned the brush, grass, and weeds they had cut from around the graves and along the fence. This story was never told by the young boy to his fellow schoolmates. He was afraid if the story was told, he would be laughed at. He also felt that if school friends heard the story, they would tell of the ghostly sights and sounds that others had seen and heard as they passed daily by this path next to the old church and cemetery and that he might be too frightened to go to school in the daytime along this lonely way. I have seen lights in cemeteries. Some of them are blue, some of them are white, some of them are yellow. Come to find out that most of them are simply reflections on shiny granite gravestones of the headlights of the cars as they pass. 
That's not all of them, though. I was coming home from a late-night excursion, and I passed down a quiet country road, well, country-type road here in San Antonio, and it passed a cemetery. And I looked out in the cemetery, and there were lights out in the cemetery. And believe me, I nearly went off the road when I was looking because I couldn't figure out what they were, and then suddenly it dawned on me. Someone had put the solar trail lights like you would put out in front of your house by your sidewalk around the graves of their loved ones. But that's a scary sight at 1130 at night on a very dark night. Old Ring the Ghost Dog. Do you like ghost pets? Do you have ghost pets? I have some. I have a couple of cats probably. I know I have at least one. When a young boy was about 10 years old, his father sent him on an errand to a neighbor whose home was about one half mile away up the valley from the boy's home, which was next door to the old Big Creek schoolhouse. His father and uncle, who owned the level meadows in the valley, had spent a year or two clearing the meadows of logs and rocks deposited by a flood that swept this valley before they purchased the land. Their major objective was to grow grass to feed the cattle and mules they both owned. In the process of preparing this meadowland, a ditch was dug about five feet deep and six feet wide, which separated some of the meadows into smaller parcels of land. In the bottom of the ditch flowed a small creek that furnished a breeding place for minnows, horny heads, and brook trout. There were many frogs, several varieties of water snakes, and in the summertime when the grass was mown, they always killed a number of copperheads, which was one of the two types of poison snakes that infested these meadows. To avoid climbing down the bank of this ditch and up again on the other side, they decided to make a straight path through these meadows. The two men went to the sawmill and brought back about one dozen boards, two inches by 12 inches by 10 feet in length. They were laid across the ditch at every curve to create a footbridge on the path that led the full length of these meadows. In daylight, it was fun for a boy to run along this path through the meadows. It was thrilling to see how fast one could run over the footbridges. There was at the boy's house a black and white spotted hound dog. He was too slow to hunt with. He would often spend hours trailing a rabbit. So far as is known, he never came in sight of a rabbit. The family kept this dog from puppyhood until he died of old age. He was often called a good-for-nothing dog. The boy loved the old dog, though. He was a faithful watchdog. The boy remembered the good times he had playing with him. There were times when he beat the old dog, as many boys have done in the mountain sections of the South. The old dog always seemed to forgive the boy for this bad treatment and was always ready to play and bark at the boy who was, for part of his life, the only playmate the dog had. He barked with a loud, mournful voice when he trailed a rabbit, and his voice could be heard a mile away on a still day. Because of this loud, slow voice, the old hound was named Ring. On the occasion of the errand mentioned, one of the final statements made by the father was that he was to return home before dark. The reason for this special admonition was that his parents knew that he was afraid of the things that lived in the dark. Most boys his age in the mountains had heard too many ghost stories to feel otherwise. There were also the danger from the copperheads. They would bite if stepped on. It was dangerous to pass within striking distance, and they were known to crawl around in the dark in search of mice upon which they fed.
The boy delivered the message to the neighbor, played around for a while with the neighbor's boy. Then he looked around to find that the sun had set. The twilight was already causing the road which led around the tree-shaded hillside to be too dark to travel with the danger of being grabbed by some creature or ghost hidden in the shadows of the trees on the roadside. The boy immediately said goodbye to his playmate and started down the path. He went through the meadow toward the distant light which came from the window of his home. This meadow path, which began near the neighbor's house, looked much lighter than the road around the hillside. Without an instant's hesitation, the boy started to run down this grassy path. He thought about the copperheads in the grass, but was determined to run so fast they would not have time to strike his feet. Most country boys swing their arms as they walk or run. This boy was no exception to this rule. As he increased his speed, his right hand swinging back struck just behind a cold, wet object. He could not hear the sound of feet on the grassy path if the thing had feet. There was no sound of breathing. A thing that ran through the night without the sound of breathing or feet just had to be a ghost. And here it was, chasing the boy, right on his heels in the gathering darkness. Too dark for the boy to see, this ghost was. Too frightened to look around, the boy was. His mouth was too dry to call for help and no one to hear if he did call. He was too far from home. There was only one thing to do, put on speed and outrun the thing to his father's house. He no longer ran. He fairly flew. He missed the foot wide board over the six feet wide ditch. So great was his speed that he did not go down into the ditch but flew through the air and landed on his stomach on the other side. The breath was almost knocked from his body. He dug his fingers into the grass in the endeavor to keep going on his hands and knees if necessary. There was the sound of running feet on the board bridge. Before he could get up on his knees, a big tongue licked over his face, and the thing stood back and gave voice to the loudest and most awful howl ever heard in the Georgia mountains. The old hound had followed the boy to the neighbor's house, and he had laid down somewhere out of sight until the boy was ready to go home. He was bringing up the rear without the boy knowing he was behind him, and it was sort of climaxed by the boy's fall against the ditch bank. The old hound was doing his best to get the boy on his feet again by licking his face, and by the howl of joy when he found the boy could get up. Good old ring with a cold, wet nose. You never knew how nearly you scared a boy to death in that long ago. Well, that's the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I thank you for being along for the ride and be with me next week as we come back with another story or another group of stories for Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, which is listener stories that Aaron tells, mostly ghost stories. And on Tuesdays, we have Aaron Frail with Aaron's Horror Show, where he reviews horror movies, different books, uh, things that he's written. And on Wednesdays, it's me, Terry's Mysterious Moments, with me, Terry from Texas, where we cover just about anything you can think of. And on alternating Thursdays, or every other Thursday, however you want to look at that, we have Patrick Sean Jones with the Sandman Lullaby. 
we also have video productions on the first Friday of the month from Full Dark Productions, from The Witching Hour, and from Unexplained Cases. Also remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have an Apple or an Android, you can go to your app store, look for the RPA app. It's a black square with a blue eye right in the middle of it. You can't miss it. And you can download that app, install it into the device you listen to the programs on, and that way you will not have to go looking for the programs. They'll be right there. Do that. It'll be a lot easier for you to get to the stories. That's about it. I hope everybody has a good week. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye.